in the morning, one of our team members shows up, and he's like, man, it's icy out there. And so he calls and gets some gravel put out there so that people aren't slipping and sliding and breaking necks or arms or hips or whatever. So we're just so glad from the outside, you know, early morning, just everyone's serving together up here, back there, downstairs, in the kitchen. We all serve together. Heads up. Heads up kind of get to this section in the book of Colossians where the theme is heads up. I was driving on Monday down to Calgary and we were just south of Edmonton near Wetaskiwin there and we were driving and it was starting to get a little icy. And you guys in Lloydminster, you're used to this. This is normal kind of winter weather traffic, but you know, there's a people that drive that corridor there that sometimes forget about winter weather. And so we're, we're hauling along and all of a sudden I just noticed the, I could feel the, you know, my, my big Yukon sort of you know, moving a little bit. I'm like, it's, it's icy out here. So we kind of slow down. And, and of course, then it would kind of dry out. So, you, you know, you'd go faster. And, and people were passing each other. And I'm passing this same guy twice. He's passing me. And it's, it's getting annoying, you know. And there's a semi there. And he's going pretty fast. And, and anyway, I was in this point where, like, this little Toyota car had passed me. And, and he was in front of this semi. And I was kind of in the left lane. And, and in front of us, we could see there were several cars in front of us. And there was this black truck up ahead. And we're just driving, and you know, your, your, your mind is elsewhere, at least mine is when I'm driving, you know, and people could be talking, but I'm just kind of zoning them out and just enjoying the road. And, and all of a sudden, I watch this truck, and it's doing things that it shouldn't do. It suddenly, it just starts to move a little bit. And then it's moving more, and pretty soon, this truck is, is now weaving across its lane, and there's this little Toyota tr- car right here, like a little sardine can right here next to this truck, and behind it is this semi, and then behind it is, right, is me right here. So I'm like, okay, I'm about to be involved in a major pileup here. <laughs> the guy in front had not had his heads up about the situation. This black truck begins to just spin, and it goes right between this car and this little blue Toyota, and he goes into the ditch, and all of a sudden he's over by the fence, and he's ripping along in the snow there, and we're all just kind of watching him. See you later, buddy, you know, and we're, we're glad that he's over there and not in front of us anymore, you know, but he, he wasn't heads up about the situation. You've, um, you've maybe heard that, right? If, if, you've, if you're fishing with someone and, and suddenly you hear someone in the boat say, heads up, you know, either there's a fish in the air or there's a, a hook in the air or there's a seagull or something, you know, is coming in. You've got to be, be aware of it, heads up. The dictionary describes heads up as, uh, in the Cambridge Dictionary, a warning that something is going to happen, usually so you can prepare for it. Dictionary.com says, quick to grasp a situation and take advantage of opportunities. Alert, resourceful, or Merriam-Webster, the third entry, it says, heads up, used as a warning to look out for danger, especially overhead, or to clear a passageway. Heads up. This Apostle Paul know anything about history. He lived in the first century. He, he had his own kind of heads-up experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. It changed his whole life. And he became an w- apostle. He shared the message of Jesus everywhere he went. He would give him this, this ministry of, of preaching, especially to, to non-Jews. He was a Jew, and he had come from that tr- pathway and from that genealogy, but God had given him a ministry to, to people that weren't Jewish. And so he's preaching the gospel. He preached the gospel in this place called Ephesus. And there in Ephesus, this guy from Colossae had come down and, and, and had heard and had responded, and he'd gone back to Colossae and told everyone there about this good news about Jesus Christ. Well, lo and behold, a church started there, and then these people started to creep in. Some Jewish background, some kind of New Age, kind of weird philosophies, 
some of the early forms of what we call Gnosticism. This is kind of this, this higher knowledge, this secret knowledge, these mysteries of the universe that only a, a special elect you know, people get to experience. And, and they're coming into this Colossian church and being like, yeah, I know you got Jesus, but there's, there's other things that you're missing out. And so the Apostle Paul writes them, and basically says, you guys, I want you to remain centered on Jesus Christ. Heads up, he basically is writing. Remember the target. Remember where you're going. Remember the conditions that you're living in. Remember where you came from, and remember where you're going. And in chapter 1 and 2, this is a whole letter. I mean, they would kind of read it in one sitting. But here, we've been going through it for several weeks, kind of just looking at a paragraph at a time. And, and, he, and in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's kind of laying the foundation of who Jesus Christ is and how he is superior and preeminent over everything else. And there's nothing that compares with Jesus. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the, the source and, and of salvation in himself. And there's nothing else that you need outside of Christ. In the latter part of chapter 2, he, he warns them about some of the other ideas out there that, that would draw them away from the target. Legalism, mysticism, asceticism, do's and don'ts. All these things that could take them off target. In chapter 3, he kind of gets to the practical nitty-gritty. He's like, let's put this into action. Heads up. I've been talking about Jesus. I've been talking about getting your life on the target, making sure. I mean, if you're tracking an animal, it's, it's good not to just look at the tracks, but to look up every once in a while. Because lo and behold, that bear could be standing over, you know, right there if you just keep looking at his tracks, you know. And he's like, you know, heads up. But keep looking ahead as you move in your journey with Jesus Christ. He talks about several, several things. In chapter 3, Verses 1 and 2, he's talking about heads-up thinking. Therefore, he says, transitioning into a new section of his letter, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And uh, what do you mean you've been raised with Christ? We just talked about this. Basically, when you come to faith in Christ, you, there's, there's a death experience. You die to your old way of life, and you become alive in, in a new way to Jesus Christ. And this is what he's talking about. There is a whole new target in your life now. You're living for Jesus Christ. You've been raised with him. What used to be is dead. What is now is alive. He said, you've been raised with Christ, so here's what you need to keep doing. Keep thinking, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This is a present tense verb. Keep seeking. Keep on seeking. Don't stop seeking. Keep looking. Keep seeking. Keep seeking. Keep going after it. Don't You see, Christ is not truly like a hunting mission. Like you don't shoot and then it's over. You find the target and you keep going at it. You don't stop. You keep pursuing it. You keep moving. I mean, th there is an ultimate destination, but he's like, you've got to keep moving in this track, in this trajectory. You can't stop. The danger for the Colossians is the danger for all of us is that, you know, you have some great experience with Jesus at a camp or a church or, or at a retreat or something, and then, and then you get back to real life and, and you forget about the target and you go back to just looking and living the way you used to live before. Same danger for the Colossians. He's like, keep seeking. And he's like, remember what you're seeking. It's Jesus Christ, and he's seating, sitting at the right hand of the Father. The right hand, the right hand was the place of authority and of power. He's like, you have the person who has the most authority and power in the whole universe at your disposal. Keep seeking him. Why would you go anywhere else? 
Judaism can't do that for you. New Age can't do that for you. These mystery cults, they can't do that for you. Gnosticism, you know, secret revelations and higher knowledge, they can't do that for you. Jesus is in the place of authority and power and sovereignty. Seek him. And then he reiterates that in verse three, verse 2. He says, keep thinking about things above, not things on earth. Why? Because in verse 3, you've died in your life is hidden with Christ in God. Keep thinking about those things above, not things on earth. Now why? It's, it's really nice to say that, but it's a lot harder to, to actually to live it out. How do you actually keep thinking about the things above? I mean, back in, in the old days, in, in church, we used to talk about you know, being so heavenly-minded, you're of no earthly good, you know. And, and, and that's, there's, there's part of that that's true, but then there's other part of that that says, actually, that's contradictory, because Scripture says... Be so heavenly-minded that it reflects in your behavior. You know, you've died, but your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You're supposed to keep seeking the things above. You're supposed to keep thinking about what is above. Because your life no longer consists of what you live in. There's more to this life than your job, your shape, your bank account, what you look like, where you work who you're married to, what kind of house you live in. There's way more to your life now than all that stuff. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You've died. Some of you maybe have, have maybe forgotten that reality. The part of focusing and targeting your life on Jesus Christ means that there is a death to what was before. And there's a risenness to what Christ brings into your life now. It's a change. Warren Wiersbe tells a story about these two girls that were notorious partiers back in their day. Dances, wild parties, and, and, and lo and behold, they, they came to experience salvation and new life through Jesus Christ, and they got invited to another party. And they RSVP'd, and this is what they said in the RSVP. We regret that we cannot attend because we recently died. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you'd read that. That'd be, that's that's kind of weird, but there they were just saying, look, there, there, there's been a change. And he's moving into this practical part of the, of the letter. He says, you know, your, your behavior comes out of your thinking. And what you're thinking on, what you're focused on, will determine what you do with your life. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a whole new focus, a whole new target. And if you target here, it's going to affect the way you walk, the way you think, the way you live, the way you act. But this is heads-up thinking. Because he's he says in verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's something waiting for you. You know, when the email first came out, I used to get these emails. This is before we had spam folders, right? And, you know, some African prince, you know, had multi-million dollars. <laughs> and he needed someone in North America to look after it for him because there was a, a hostile takeover and you know, he needed to you know, find somewhere to, to shelter this funds and would you help me with these and I'll share it with you. And of course, back in those days, you didn't know that this, you know, oh, is this a scam? Is this real? Wow, wouldn't that be cool if I could you know, inherit an African prince's fortune or share it with him? You know, and, and, and you know, if, if we could only just pool all that money together, can you imagine how much we'd have, right? I mean, you understand. And maybe you've got those emails too, right? You're, and you think, oh, maybe you know, this is my chance. There's, 
there's, there's something hidden here and I can, I, I can access it. But the truth matter of Colossians is that, that in Christ we have this incredible inheritance waiting for us. He says in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. That, that there's this day coming when, 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 when Christ was going to come back and we're going to be with him and, and we're anticipating that time. And, and in the meantime, he's like, you know, if, if this is your target, then you should be living for him, living with him, you know, and honoring him with your life. And he says, you know, th- this, this is heads up thinking. You're thinking about the day when Christ comes. You know, there was a period of time in the 80s where this was very popular. End times kind of thinking. And it got a little bit fanatical at times, but... But, but then we kind of re- reacted to that, and we're like, oh, let's not even talk about it anymore. But the reality is that this is the New Testament teaching, that, that they expected Jesus to return at any time. Can you imagine? If you just knew Jesus was showing up tomorrow, what would you do? What, 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 what would happen in your life? Or if you knew you had two months, three months, a year, five years, what would you do differently? If you knew that he was going to be evaluating your, you know, your, your, your Google calendar and your bank account and your transactions, and your internet usage, and the time you spend on the TV, and on social media. Uh, what would you do differently? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. So this is where you're going. Perfection. Glory. Majesty. Holiness. Righteousness. This is where we're all ending up if you know Jesus Christ. And so he says, you know, heads up thinking leads, leads to heads up behavior. And so that's what he gets to here in verse 5. He says, put to death whatever in your nature, verse 5, belongs to the earth. Sensual, Im- sexual immorality, impurity, shameful passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. You know, put to death. Um, the term really is mortify. In the old church tradition, they used to talk about the mortification of the flesh. In some churches, this was a little bit distorted because they felt like you just needed to flagellate and you know, hurt yourself and harm your body in order to get over sin. And that's not what Paul's referring to. He says, but, but there is this conscious choice you make to die to whatever dominated you before and to move forward with Jesus Christ. And, and he, he picks on the sexual area because in the first century, this was a huge deal. If you were not a Jew, and you were just part of the Gentile, the Roman world, I mean, sexual promiscuity was acceptable in their society. This is not an, a problem that we just experience today. I'm just telling you. In fact, as you read through the Bible, it's amazing how it shows up in every generation. Gen- Genesis. There's Lot living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's just known for its just gross and blatant immorality. God's bringing the, the Israelites into the promised land, and he's like, basically, he's got these commands. I'm reading through Leviticus right now in my devotions, and, and he's got some really weird stuff in there, but he's got all these commands about sexual sins and sexual deviancy, because he's like, look, these people in the land you're going to do all that stuff. I don't want you to do that. I want, you're going to be different. You're going to be holy, and you're not going to participate in that type of behavior. Heads up thinking leads to heads up behavior, and he says, put to death this part your life. And he picks on this, as I think for the Colossians, this is what they came from. He tells us later on, you guys used to live this way. And for us today here in North America, in the world, this is a real issue. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about 
in detail. So that's another sermon all on its own. But the reality is that all of us have a past. And, and our culture will pressure us to, to target different things and to think that you can add whatever behaviors you are to your relationship with Jesus Christ. But he's like, no, no, heads up thinking leads to heads up behavior. And heads up behavior says, no, I'm putting death, I'm going to die to that part of life and I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to behave that way. The terms really leave no room for wiggling when it comes to sexuality. God created sex in a, in a beautiful way for a one man and one woman in a covenant of marriage to enjoy. It's God's plan. It's his idea. We didn't come up with sex. He did. He made it for us to enjoy in marriage. Me with my wife, my wife with me, in, in, in the security and the safety of that relationship, it's enjoyed to its fullest extent. As men and women created in the image of God, we glorify God when we have sex in marriage. We actually do. But when we take sex out of marriage, then we, we now rebel against God. We disobey God. We dishonor the nature of God in us. And we distort it. And that's, I think, the issue that God has with with the, you know, the Canaanites in, in, in ancient Israel and, and with, with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and throughout the Bible as, as we encounter sexual sin again and again and again and even up to our current generation, what it is is saying, I don't care, God, what you say is right and good and perfect for me. I'm going to do it my way. I don't believe, God, that you have my pleasure, my best pleasure at, in your mind, that you're good enough to say, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you enjoy this. I, I want to enjoy it for myself, my way, my rules heads up behavior, but he says here in the Bible, put it to death. Put to death. Because in verse 6 it says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. That, that's an that's a idiom which means, you know, people who are characterized by disobedience. And sexuality is one, where, one way where, where we basically give God the middle finger and say, I don't care what you say about sex, I'm doing it my way. But God says, I've got a better way for you. And God ultimately judges those who reject him. That's what this verse is saying. It's coming. There were these teachers here in Colossae that came along, and they had this dualistic idea of life. There's the spiritual realm, and there's the physical realm. And there are two responses to that. One was you needed to just, you know, say no to everything and live this monk-like life. Or you could say it doesn't matter what you do with your physical life because the spiritual life is just lived on a spiritual plane. So you can do whatever you want with your body. You can do, what, you know, do whatever you want with whoever you want because it doesn't really matter because spirit and body aren't the same. And, and he's kind of coming along here and saying heads up thinking. Keep thinking about Jesus. Heads up behavior. Put to death this because what you do with your body does affect your spiritual life can't disassociate your physical from your spiritual. He says in verse 7, you also lived your lives in this way at one time when you used to live among them. You used to live that way. And I think that's why he picks on these verses because, you know, we all have some kind of past and, and some of you grew up in the church, maybe your past is not as extensive and you can give God glory for that. That's okay. Some of you did come back, come from this kind of a background, and you, you know what he's talking about. You used to live this way, but he's like, this does not define you any longer. No, no, no. When you come to Christ, that old way has died, and you're ri risen to new life in him. You, you're not defined by your past sins. We don't define you that way here, a new life. 
If you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, we don't define you as an immoral, immoral adulterer, whatever it is, greedy swindler. Doesn't, that's not what defines you. What defines you now is you are a child of God, forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, risen to new life in Jesus Christ. And we're helping you to move up and out in new life in Jesus Christ. And that involves heads-up behavior. The reality is, though, putting to death is kind of like cutting down a poplar tree. You know, these big trees, you cut them down, you cut up the firewood, you put them in the woodshed, and you think you're done with that tree. Until next spring, and what, what happens? You know, all these little sh- shooters are, are, are springing up all around the root and the trunk of that tree. And then you got to go and you got to hack those things down or round up or diesel fuel in the tree. I don't know, whatever. There's all sorts of, you know, things you can do. But you got to deal with the, the, sh- the vestiges of the trunk. And when you come to faith in Christ, and wouldn't it be nice if the trunk was just ripped out of the ground and hauled over the dump? But, but some, you know, we have this body. We have this past. We have this mind. We have this behavioral patterns. And we have to kill those patterns in order to move forward with Jesus Christ. The shooters pop up, and we have to deal with those. Put to death those things. And he talks about heads-up speech there in verse in verse uh, 8. He says, But now, put off all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his practices and have been clothed with the new man that is being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. Heads up speech. And he, 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 so there's this sexual immorality. You know, we're talking about that, you know, being centered. But he's like, no, the reality, too, is, is, is your speech reflects what's going on in your heart, Jesus said. You know, out of the heart, a man speaks, you know. And, and the things that come out of your mouth reflect what's going on in the inside. He's like, you know, part of, be, of heads up thinking, heads up behavior is heads up speech. We're not angry with one another. And, and, and of course, there's always this sin beneath the sin. Anger is, is about control, and uh, I mean, you got to talk to, we've got some great counselors in, in Lloyd and in this church, they can go deeper with you on that stuff, but there's always a reason you're anger, angry, there's always an, a reason you're impatient, there's a reason that you're malicious, that you slander people, oftentimes we put other people down to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, right? We're angry because we can't control the situation, we're impatient because our own agenda is not being met at the timetable, we want it to be met. And, and, and that, that's selfishness. That's control issues. And, and we're getting down to the, to the root of, of who we are, and, and, and we're rooting out the, all those, all those you know, shooters in our life, and we're, we're getting centered on Jesus Christ. Put off these things. And it's almost literally like it's like a, a greasy, dirty shirt full of sweat and dust and dirt black and it's sticking to your skin. He's like, take that off so you can be clothed in what Christ has provided for you. And of course, you know, in in the world in which we lived, I mean, these these are acceptable, right? For men, the acceptable emotion is anger, right? A guy that cries, well, he's a sissy, right? But a a guy that yells, well, he's a man, right? I mean, that's the way it works, right? And, and, And he's like, look, the reality is, learn to have your heads up about what comes out of your mouth, because that's an indication of what's going on on the inside. The old man is, is gone. You've been clothed with this, with the new man, which is being renewed 
and the knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. I mean, you've got incredible potential. And that potential is found in Jesus Christ. And every day as you move forward with Jesus, you're becoming more like Jesus. You're becoming less like your old sinful self and more like the glorious Jesus Christ. That's what his goal is for your life and for my life. It's transformation, moving up and out, a new life in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Yet that you're moving, you're becoming more like Jesus and less like you used to be every day. It's a transformation that happens every day, every day, every day. You're a little less angry at work. You're a little less impatient. You begin to become kind, and we'll find that here in, in a moment. But he talks about, of course, heads-up identity there in verse 11. He said, here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. Now, now you're like, what's he talking about? But what he's saying is like all the classifications that we put into our world and our society and our culture, our frame of mind, there's not rich nor poor, black nor white, you know, and, and in Galatians they'll say male or female. I mean, he's basically saying all the pl- ways that we stratify and separate ourselves become obliterated through Jesus Christ. Amen? You walk into church, and it's not the rich people sit here, poor people sit here, you know, people across the track sit over there, and the, the you know, out-of-towners sit over there, and, and you know, you, you that aren't white sit over there, and those of you that aren't black sit over there. I mean, it, does, it doesn't, no, no, that's not the way it works. This was scandalous in the first century. In the Roman culture, which was built upon, you know, freed people and slaves and aristocrats and, and people with citizenship, people without citizenship. And with the Jews, of course, you had to be Jewish or had to be a convert to Judaism. And, and he goes on, you had to be circumcised and all this stuff. It's about belonging to groups and different groups. And he's like, basically, in Christ, this doesn't mean anything. You're, Christ is all in all. We share a common identity. That's why you, you find, I mean, there's everything in this room. Why? Because what brings us together isn't our country we came from or the language we speak at home our average annual income our education level how many kids we have how many kids we don't have whether we're married or not married that that doesn't matter christ is all and in all heads up identity i don't know if you ever you know i I used to worry about this kind of stuff in high school you know, I, I didn't belong to the right group, I didn't think, at times, right? And, and, and then as, as you move forward in Jesus Christ, what you discover is that stuff doesn't mean anything. You're not scanning a room to see who's the most advantageous person for you to have a conversation with for your own personal networking benefits. You're saying, hey, there's a bunch of people here. I love them all. It's great. I don't care if they're, you know, if, if, if what they live in, where they come from, where they work. It doesn't matter. And Christ is all in all. And we... You would discover, you know, as you get past high school and past college, that what was cool in high school just really means nothing when you're 25, zero. Go to a high school reunion, you realize, oh, man, there's the cool guy, you know. He's, he's fat and bald, and, <laughs> you know, he's, he's not popular anymore like, like he was back in, you know. And you think, oh, so, so everything kind of just evens out, but in Christ it's even more so because he brings us together in a common focus, heads up. Identity. If, you, if you're thinking that, man, you, you don't belong in the right place, then, then I just point you back to Jesus because here is an identity and a belonging that we can all cling to. Then, of course, he talks about heads-up character, and that's in verses 12 through verse 17. He says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with a heart of mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Okay, so you've ripped off this old stuff, poof, 
you've put to death the sexual morality and all that stuff, the greed that, that characterized your old life. You're, you're throwing off the, you know, the anger, the rage, all that stuff. And now you're clothing yourself with something new. You're not running around naked. You're actually clothing yourself with, with the qualities and the characteristic of Jesus Christ. Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. These weren't qualities that were necessarily respected in the Roman Empire in the first century. I mean, you know, power under control, humility. I mean, these things weren't even thought of. I mean, you needed to exert your power. You need to, to you know, exert your position. But in Christ, he's like, you know, you're clothing yourself with the, the very character of Christ in your life. And how does that show up in, in real life? Well, he says it there in verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if someone happens to have a complaint against anyone else. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive others. So we come to a place like this. There are people in this room that have different personalities, different interests, different backgrounds. They're going to irritate you and grate on you at times. That's just the nature. I mean, just think about your own family. You, you're irritated with each other about half the time. That's, just, that's the normal reality of personality, of preference, of opinions. I mean, that, that's okay. And that doesn't mean you don't love them. It just means you're grated on. He's like, but here's what happens. In the body of Christ, as we clothe ourselves with those virtues, we are given the capacity to just love each other, to bear with each other, to carry that, that burden sometimes of that person that just annoys you. But it's just because God made them different than you. Right? I mean, if, if you're creative, you're going to be really irritated by the hyper-organized you know, person, right? And, and, and everything in, in between. If you're a people person, you're not going to you know, find it frustrating working with a task person and vice versa. And, and, and here it is in the body of Christ. We come together and we're given the ability to bear with each other. And, and how do you bear with each other? Well, you forgive. There's this habitual practice of forgiveness. Here's where Satan really messes up marriages families, and even churches, ministries, is when we refuse to obey this command. I'm not giving that over to God. You don't know what they said to me. You know what they did? I'm not, you know, and you, you just carry that grudge. You carry that bitterness, and it begins to just grow like a mold inside the body of Christ, and it it destroys churches, it destroys families, it destroys marriages. And he says, the reality is, part of clothing yourself with, this, with, the, with the character of Christ is that you, you bear and you forgive. Because you understand that God's forgiven you in Jesus Christ. He's, I mean, if God kept a, a, a record and a grudge against us, none of us would be here today. But God's forgiven us, so you need to practice habitual forgiveness. Bearing with each other and just forgiving. Letting things go. Releasing it so that you can experience the new life and the target of Jesus Christ. I'm speaking simplistically of things I know that are more difficult. But you may have someone you need to forgive in your life. Maybe someone from your past church experiences. And the scripture is pretty clear about, you know, heads up character is clothing yourself with these virtues, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And he continues and he talks about the binding agent there in verse 14. And to all these virtues, add love, which is the perfect bond. Love. I mean, we want people to come in a new life and to, and to experience this love. 
It's a church family, I'm telling you. As, as people come in, we want them to see that, that the target that is part of our life now produces in us this love, which, which enables us to bear with each other, to forgive. We're clothing ourselves with these virtues of, of humility, gentleness, kindness, mercy, compassion. Why? Because, because the love that God has placed in our hearts. You know, add love. It's the perfect bond. When you take love out, God's love, you, you have dysfunctional relationships. You have unhealthy families. You have churches that fight and squabble over stupid and minutiae stuff that really means nothing. Love. And then he talks about kind of the rules of the game. You know, verses 15 and 16 and 17, he's kind of closing out the this section, he's like, you know, the reality, your, your heads up character. He's like, you know, let the peace of Christ be in control in your heart. For you, in fact, were called as one body to this peace. And be thankful. He's like, you know, let the peace of Christ. And, and that word control, it literally can be translated umpire. Now, if you're a baseball fan, you maybe watched the World Series a couple weeks ago. And, and you know, there the, the guy stands behind the catcher. And he watches the ball come in. And, and, and he calls it. Now, with modern TV, we can see exactly where that pitch went, right? And sometimes it's outside that square, but he's, Steve, right? You know, and, you, and then, you know, the batter doesn't like the call. You know, the, the manager doesn't like the call, but the umpire called it. He controls the game. And he's like, let the peace of Christ control the game. Be heads up about who's in control. Not the pastor, not the elders. Not the prominent church families, not the greatest givers in the church. <laughs> it's not the denomination. <laughs> it's the peace of Christ that umpires this body. He calls, when he calls strike, then we, it's a strike. We don't debate, we don't argue, we don't get kicked out of the game because we don't like his call. If he says it's a strike, it's a strike. The problem is sometimes we don't like the way the Holy Spirit calls the game of life and we're like, no, he is the one in charge and, and we're going to let him umpire in this game, this church, this body, because you were called, in fact, as one body to this peace. And so when you come into a church, you should experience peace that you don't find out in the, real, in the world. Why? Because there's, there's a different set of rules, a different umpire to, to the relationships that we live in right here. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't like his calls, and so we leave, and we, we quit church, or we stop going to church because we don't like the way the, the Holy Spirit called the game, and we, ah, I, I want to do it my own way, or I like to make my own calls, and there's a letter of surrender and humility where we say, no, I accept what the Holy Spirit says about this, that the peace of Christ be in control in your heart. And then he says in verse six, 17, uh, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with grace in your hearts to God. So, so here he's tying it back to verses 1 and 2. Keep thinking about things above. Keep seeking things above. Well, how do you do that? Well, you fill your heart with the word of Christ. Here's what happens. When you don't come to church regularly, you're not filling your heart with the word of Christ. It happens in the body. Now, you can watch right now media. You can watch YouTube, and that's okay, but it doesn't ever fill what, what happens here in the body of Christ and what happens when you meet in your, in your small groups and you gather together for coffee with your friends or one-on-one -on -one with your accountability partners and, and, and you discuss the Word of God together. Something happens. You begin to just deep down the richness of God's Word and of Christ 
just finds its way into your heart and embeds in there permanently, and it, it develops this character and this heads-up thinking and behavior. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, exhorting one another with all wisdom. That's what we're doing downstairs right now. The kids are studying God's word. We believe that's essential and important to moving up in our new life in Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing right now here. We're, we're studying God's word. We're, we're embedding. We're allowing it to come, and, and we're singing songs. These songs pointed to, to Jesus and pointed to your relationship, your identity in him, and their reflection. And, and hopefully just throughout the week, these songs come to mind when you encounter a situation. You're going to I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Hallelujah. The Lord of God Almighty reigns. I mean, you're, you're going to think about these things, and it, it just reminds us that, that we live on a different plane, and we're going in a different direction because we have Jesus Christ heads up. In addition to coming to church, I encourage you to have a habit of regular reading God's Word. There's not a you know, legalistic practice I'm, I'm prescribing here. I'm just saying you need to find your time where you get together with God and His Word and read and pray and meditate and just allow it to sink into your heart. Secondly, it would be good for you to do that with someone else in community, in relationship with other people, to grow, because that's where it happens. But then he finally ends in verse 17. He says, whatever you do, word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, or God the Father through him. Whatever you do. He's, here's, the, here's the summary. Look, guys, we've talked about heads-up behavior, heads-up thinking, heads-up. Now, whatever you do, word or deed, there's not much left beyond that. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The question is, you know, would Jesus sign off on that behavior? Would Jesus be pleased with where you spent Friday night or Saturday night? Would Jesus be happy with the conversation you had in the locker room with your girlfriends, the guys he play hockey with? I mean, would, would, he, would he sign off on that? Would he like the business deals that you're part of, the business associations that you're, you're invested in? Would, would, would he sign off on that? Would he sign off on, on your leadership and the management style that you employ at work? Would, would he say, yeah, I'm 100% behind you on that? Or, or would he say, well, there are some things that you do in your leadership that aren't reflective of me. Would he sign off on the way that you invest in your marriage? Whatever you do, word or deed. Would he sign off on the way that you talk to the other members of your family? You know, this kind of hit me yesterday. I was out in the yard, and my kids did something and almost ran into something that he shouldn't have ran into. And, and I said, what are you doing? You know, and it was, it was not a nice word. I'm like, Jesus would not sign off on that. So I, you know, shortly thereafter apologized and kind of reset because I was like, man, I that Jesus would not sign off on that reaction for sure. And this is the reality. We live in this world. He's like, whatever you do, word or deed. So now he's, he's making a pretty broad net here. Would Jesus sign off on that? Jesus, sign off on that. Whatever you do. Heads up. It's not easy to stay on the plug. The road does get icy at times. <laughs> there are distractions. <laughs> there are hazards. Some of the hazards come from our own past. And we have to get past that. And I think in the book of Colossians, it's very clear. Paul's like, I'm not identifying you by your past sins, but I'm just reminding you, you came from this, but now you belong here. He's like, heads up. 
what you know to be true about Jesus Christ and about your position in Christ can be put into practical action in your life. In the way you behave. In the way you speak. In the virtues that you put on. In your interactions with each other. Bearing, forgiving. In the love which binds you all together. In the fact that the peace of Christ calls the strike and you say that is a strike. And the fact that the word of Christ dwells in you richly. And whatever you do, word or deed, you're concerned that Jesus Christ would sign off on that, would approve it, would endorse it. And I'm like, man, that's a pretty far off target. But keep heading in this direction. Keep your head up. Focus on Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as we close? The team's going to come up and lead us in a final song. I went a little ahead today.